Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Each week, we bring you the most interesting conversations from around the media industry. Today, we're talking about all the vital leadership skills that you need to guide your newsroom through the dual challenge of COVID-19 and digital transformation. Joining me today is Lucy Kung, Senior Research Associate of the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism, and she's an all-round expert on newsroom strategy, innovation and leadership. This month, Lucy released a new book called Hearts and Minds, Harnessing Leadership, Culture and Talent to Really Go Digital. At the core of that conversation is how newsroom leaders can manage responsibility that they never signed up for, whether that is the two-decade-old problem of digital transformation, ongoing struggles around diversity and management of the new generation of journalists, or of course the latest headache being COVID-19. For the book, Lucy interviewed more than 100 newsroom leaders and we'll be finding out exactly what the best leaders are doing right now to manage the problems that we're all facing and what is the best advice for the biggest hurdles that lie ahead. One of the few silver linings of the coronavirus is an opportunity to rethink and rewire how the newsroom works and address long-standing problems. What we need now is effective leadership to make that happen. More on that to come, but first, before we dive in, here is something to put into your diary that you don't want to miss. The journalism.co.uk team is bringing you four days of panel discussions and workshops at our next digital journalism conference, News Rewired, and it's less than two weeks away. Join us from the 1st of December, where we will look to set you up for success in 2021. Talks include how to lead a disrupted newsroom, leveraging audio to drive subscriptions, overcoming the stigma of mental health, and much, much more. Head over to newsrewired.com for the full agenda and tickets. Lucy, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. What's the working situation like for you at the moment? It's absolutely fine. I've got a lot of interesting projects to do. I'm just getting really a bit ground down by the working from home, but really no complaints. I'm in a very privileged position, so it's fine. <laughs> I can understand the um, the grounded down <laughs> part for sure. And of course, many of our listeners may feel that way as well. Um, you have, of course, been busy with this uh, new book that you've, that you've brought out, and there's lots of fascinating stuff for us to dive into. Um, a good place to start might just be acknowledging how hard 2020 has been for newsroom leaders and those particularly in the middle of the organisation. Um, on top of dealing with the unprecedented uh, crisis of COVID, leaders are challenged to deal with many long-standing pre-pandemic issues like diversity and inclusion, like managing the new generation of journalists and, of course, digital transformation as well. You spoke to more than 100 newsroom leaders for your new book, Lucy. How revealing was that to just kind of get a sense of the reality of the burdens that these newsroom leaders are carrying right now? I think they're tremendous, actually. I mean, I think I think you kind of nailed it at the beginning that we're in a really difficult situation right now. We have structural changes. Those have been accelerated in a really cruel way, um, thanks to COVID. And on top of COVID, we have a few kind of crises. So we've got kind of accelerating structural changes with this kind of big boot of a crisis coming down on top. And I think that is really, really difficult. There are massive opportunities in this current situation to kind of accelerate, to move ahead faster, to to push ahead with some of the really critical changes people know have to happen, but have kind of been a bit slow on. But I think the problem is, the really tactical issue is working from home. I think people's batteries are really, really low now. And that is a 
not the greatest starting point from which to kind of uh, engage in deep-seated transformation. I mean, it's so hard to be even creative working from home remotely. Of course. There's no easy answer, really, is there? There's no easy answer. I mean, and I think one of the challenges for leaders actually is their job is to reduce complexity, actually. Mm, okay. um, and you need you need a relatively clear head and a lot of energy to do that, because otherwise you can just end up with a never ending to do list. Right. Mm, absolutely. So you have to kind of work out in the situation right now. What is the smart thing to do? And, and I think that's really, really challenging. Mm. You talk about it being a unique moment to kind of rethink and rewire parts of the news operation. Is that just born out of necessity, really, to do to do away with systems that we've always done for the sake of doing it and just now finding the most convenient and logical solutions for our news operation? Yeah, I mean, I think the way I look at it is is the industry has actually, as someone said in a tweet to me when the book came out, he, he realised with horror the industry has been on a digital transformation journey for a quarter of a century, right? <laughs> so, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, absolutely. This has, I mean, that's a terrifying concept. Um, and everyone's kind of got a bit slowed down in it because the problem is it's very, it's, it's fine if you're private equity or venture capital funded, you, you throw up a Netflix or a Spotify, you've got a clean sheet of paper, you can build for the future you need. If you're starting with an existing organization, existing processes, workflows, bits of content that work, bits of content that don't work so well. It's much harder. You can develop a clean picture of the future, but you've kind of then got to navigate the old onto the new. And a lot of organizations have ended up with one foot in the old and one foot in the new. <laughs> and that is kind of exhausting. And I think they've dodged a lot of difficult decisions around really prioritizing hmm. the future. And I think the issue now is because actually the world has gone digital, really, even the older demographic groups were that were often the anchors for not changing, right? You say, well, yeah, well, we've got these very loyal customer groups who love the print or love the linear broadcasts. Actually, they've all gone digital too now, right? So so now there's no excuse not to. There's no excuse. <laughs> so that's one thing. And I think the second thing is just the culture. I mean, I've done so much work on, on culture and culture change. And you can't change cultures unless an organization, unless people's brains are plastic. They're open to thinking about doing things differently. And I think one of the very few gifts in COVID is that his head has actually made everyone open to doing things in really, really different ways. Mm. And I think that is the really stunning window of opportunity right now. The problem is we need the energy to seize that opportunity. Yeah. Ah, uh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the I, I love this quote in there. You say that digital transformation is a people transformation uh, as much as a business transformation. I think that's a great way of phrasing it. Yeah, that's the solution. Isn't just uh, you know a business strategy. It's actually harnessing the power of the of the of the newsroom effectively with people skills. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, just now, I would say most people actually have a pretty smart digital strategy. They've got it worked out. They know what they need to do. But, you know, some of the best management theorists in the world have pointed out 90% of strategies are never implemented. That's because once they move out of a PowerPoint deck into actually people doing things differently, making decisions in different ways, uh, listening to different individuals, it gets very, very difficult. 90% of strategies never are never executed. Yeah. Mm, it's stunning. Yeah. It's tremendously <laughs> difficult, actually. It's, I mean, it's, it's actually quite hard to develop the strategy, but to actually really push it through is very hard. Mm. Yeah. We've been 
obviously we spoke to you about our last news rewired and, and kind of the message there was similar in some ways where it was like this is a reset moment we can sort of rethink how we are operating now we're now what six seven months later down the line has have you seen any newsroom leaders who are taking advantage of this situation in that way to really um change the way that they are working is have, have people been heeding this call at all yeah yeah i think they have actually i think they really have um what's really interesting though is a lot of the organizations are doing really well went through a big crisis a couple of years back and it's like they developed their crises muscles at that point and then they really moved ahead and um, seize this opportunity. I think the the people who are doing very well have um, used it as a as an opportunity to kind of double down on strategy. Look at it again. Are we doing the right things? And actually, an opportunity sh to shed some of the stuff. I mean, the, the in the media industry, it's very very easy to start new things. And in the tech environment we've been in for the last 15 years, there have been new things coming on stream that we've had to think about anyway. And we've had to kind of probably put up a response to because it could or could not be important. Um, but we've ended up with, with a probably an oversupply of, of projects, initiatives floating around the organizations. There's some legacy ones as well that probably their shelf life has expired you know, or they haven't scaled as much as they should. And I am seeing a lot of smart individuals using this as an opportunity to tactfully shut them down with kind of really smart messaging around that, which is that, yes, we can shut things down as well as throw things up. It's a way of saving resources and redirecting them to things that really matter. Interesting. So can you just explain that again in the context of what are the best leaders doing right at the moment? First thing they're doing is very clear communicating. So what you have to do um, is what you see in a lot of organizations, especially larger media organizations, is they have so many strategies. They have the corporate strategy, they have the organizational strategy, they have the diversity and inclusion strategy, they have the digital first strategy. And people have got lost on one, on one hand, and on the other, that gives people the opportunity to kind of pick and choose. Yeah. I like this goal, so I'll go for that one. It's entirely legitimate, it's in a strategy, and maybe not the others. So what they've done is kind of taken as an opportunity to make things a lot sleeker. Mm streamline it okay right now these are the five things we have to focus on and then kind of got people around those and then actually slowly you kind of reduce your strategic to-do list strategic to-do list i like that <laughs> and what i was really asking you is what does what a strong leadership really look like it's a number of things okay firstly strategic clarity that really explains this is what we really need to focus on right now that should become like a kind of internal protocol in people's heads so for the next six months these are the things that really matter um I think the second thing is actually, I talked about that a lot in the report, it's about being very accessible. One of the things that's really striking is it's the new areas of the organization, especially the hybrid areas where journalism and data come together, journalism and product. They are the key to a really sustainable future, in fact. And often they've been kind of bolted on afterwards. Um, they sit uncomfortably within the organization. No one's quite clear. Do they belong to tech? Do they belong to journalism? Um, and I think one of the critical things is kind of ramping up those areas, ramping up the areas that are going to build the path to the future. It's, it's, it's fascinating that there is this there is this side. But of course, the other thing you talk about is the, the era of the anti-leader, which I just find really interesting. I think you can probably describe this much better than I can. So can you elaborate on what that means and why that is such a kind of an interesting and important dynamic? It's come from these kind of, um, it's basically come from the transformation itself. Okay, so we have a lot of new areas in the organization 
that are disproportionately important to building a sustainable future, often actually around data product and new forms of journalism. Those are all areas, expertises that didn't exist when the current people at the top of the organizations climbed the pole to the top, right? So these are entirely new areas, but if they're really sharp leaders, they know how critical they are to a sustainable future, right? So the only logical approach for those leaders is to say there's a lot, there are a lot of experts in this organization, a lot of them are younger. They know more about these critical areas than I do. I have to rely on them. I have to trust them. And then you kind of get this mindset which shift, which is not, I know all the solutions because I've been in this industry for longer. It's, uh, I am going to be the kind of leader that ensures we reach the right solutions and the right voices are heard and the right expertise is shared. I think that's really the basis of it. An anti-leader is, is a listener rather than a speaker. Yeah, I mean, listening and filtering and, and clearly making decisions. I mean, the person at the top actually has the kind of fiduciary uh, responsibility to keep the company viable, right? But but it's kind of, I think, the critical thing is that um, ensuring that the right information can flow up to them as they hear it. And for that to happen, there has to be two things. Firstly, they have to be accessible. It has to be possible for people to, to get to them, to talk to them. And I think secondly, they need to be open to showing that they're kind of on a learning journey too, because that then enables everyone else. Everyone else then has to modify and say, yeah, okay, we have to, I have to be open to all of this as well. As in not pretend like they have all the answers and be open to criticism and feedback and that sort of thing. The truth right now is no one has all the answers, right? And even if you look at the organizations that are doing really well, say the New York Times, they've, you know, they've made their bets that haven't worked out. The only way to go is this is, this is a complex problem. This is almost a wicked problem. If you take, say, the problem of the platforms, that is a wicked problem. How, how do we live in an era of the platforms? How do we keep our brands safe? How do we earn um, economic returns for the, for the content we create? You need as many smart brains as you can on that. It's so interesting. I mean, at the moment, we, we I think you touched on it before. We are talking about sort of the middle of the organization right now. But what kind of leaders that do they need above them? I think in terms of the leaders at the top, the big shift there is you've always need kind of you've always needed tremendous IQ. You've needed to be very smart. You need to, to kind of have mastery of your business, mastery of the sector, understand how it ticks. Um, Right now, on top of that, you need to be a transformational leader. You need to understand the sinews of the organization, how people tick. You need to be able to motivate. You need to be able to get people actually to buy into solutions which are in the greater good of the organization, but maybe actually not so great for them as individuals. I mean, that's really the challenge of transformational leadership. Um, and then the third thing is kind of charting a strategic course. That's very hard. So you need you need people right at the top who combine these three elements. And it's really rare to get any individual who can do all those three things. So then what happens is actually the leadership team also need to be very, very strong. If the, the person at the top and the team below them is really strong, really aligned, and you've got the right skills in that group, which often means you don't just have one chief technology officer, you've probably got someone across data, you've got some probably across product, then they cast a long shadow, right? They can then actually it then cascades down. They then make sure their direct reports are kind of online with the strategy, pushing in the right direction, encouraging the right kind of values, and then it sort of cascades down. But I think the problem that really emerged in this piece of research is the enormous leadership burden that's emerging in the middle of the organization. Because a lot of those people did not sign up 
to be big people leaders. They signed up because they're really expert at whatever their field is. And now on top of being expert in that field, delivering on that, they've got to actually be very good people leaders as well. And they have a day job as well. They have a day job. They have a day job. And if you look at this, you know, one of the big shifts you've seen in media organizations in the last, I don't know, 10 years has been they've taken on these um, objectives, key results Mm -hmm. um, template OKRs, which which originally came from... um, uh, Silicon Valley, Andy Grover, Intel went to Google and then they kind of gone worldwide. Um, but the, I mean, that's a fantastic way of kind of aligning the organization around a set of common goals. The problem is the heavy lifting is now having to be done by the team leaders in the middle. And they need an awful lot of support in that. I mean, none of us are born performance managers or feedback givers. Yeah. And as you rightly said, on top of the day job. So I think that's that's a little bit of a concern for me, how much of the transformation burden is now being carried in the middle of the organization. But you're 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 right. Le- leadership is not an innate quality. It can be learned. There's possibly a preconception that journalists are not compatible with with leadership. Right. But actually, it can be learned. And there's no reason why they, why they why they can't be leaders, even if they didn't necessarily sign up to that in the first place. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at any organizations that are either built around intellectual property, intellectual activities or creative activities, you always find leaders. It, it's not they're not uh, mutually exclusive. And in fact, the people who who rise to the top as if on a kind of current of hot air are the ones who have a kind of innate combination. They understand the creativity, they understand the intellectual challenge, but they also have a have an understanding of the system in which they work. So um, I think, yeah, it can absolutely be taught. It's, it's no harder than it is for architects or doctors or people running opera houses or people running charities. Um, and I think, I think it, it actually has to happen because in all my research, the last three books I've published, I mean, the really stunning fact about the media industry is the caliber of the people working in it. They are so smart and they are so committed. And really, frankly, any other sector would kill to have people of that caliber. And, and I really think the challenge for media organizations is, is to tap more of the unleashed talent, actually but also in terms of kind of solving the kind of wicked strategic problems. Yeah. Well, at the core of a journalist is someone with very keen social skills and and, and curiosity and all of those things which should go hand in glove with with um, leadership skills, you, you would think. Yeah, absolutely. And and in terms of in terms of strategy, in terms of solving this, you know, the, the media industry is structurally disadvantaged right now. There are a lot of people working in the sector who have never known it, not under pressure. <laughs> um, <laughs> and but if you look at journalists, journalists, they are, uh, it's, it's a sector who are used to doing deep research, who are used to analyzing complex data to come up with a clear set of a set of precepts or conclusions or facts coming out of that. I mean, it is a perfect, uh, and as you said, amazing communication skills. So the, all the raw materials, all the competencies and the commitment is there. What has COVID revealed about how leaders need to think about culture change and how they can achieve that? Um, so on one hand, very high levels of worry. And on the other hand, this really deep kind of desperation sense. It's so hard to do. We can never do it. Um, and I think what was really interesting is if you look at the organizations who are changing their cultures, you kind of don't do it head on by sort of setting up a big project and saying we're changing culture. You do it by working out how do you really want want people to think and feel and treat each other and make decisions inside this organization you you need to you need to do some kind of forensic work about what kind of shared values do we need to have and where do we not yet match that 
But then actually, in terms of implanting those values, essentially the trick is to make sure that every other change you make is consistent with them. If you are uh, promoting people, are you promoting people who really represent the values you want to inculcate in your organization? I think, you know, it's, it's this horrible phrase of, um, it's not only talking the talk, it's walking the walk, but it has to happen throughout every single decision that's made inside the organization. And I think that's the problem. Quite often you have a very clearly articulated set of wonderful cultural goals, but the whole of the rest of the organization is carrying on as usual, recruiting the same type of people, promoting the same kind of people, um, devoting resources to the same kinds of products. And I think people are very sharp on that. I think they realize, okay, so the, the culture change goals are just kind of window dressing. Yeah, I think the the point you um, stated about understanding the sort of existing shared beliefs is really important because I think that's a step that is often skipped, right? So why why is that the case? I think it's very hard to do. Actually, it's it's incredibly hard because um, I mean, culture lives outside conscious awareness. We're not. I was only aware of some of the culture shared cultural values in the UK until I moved to Switzerland. They only became a, aware once I moved out of that bubble and it's the same in an organization there are there are common assumptions about the way the world works that are very hard to to tackle so you need to be very smart often the people who are the smartest on an organization's culture are the relatively new recruits talk to people who've been there about nine months and they will have crystal clear analysis of the shared norms inside that organization that they find um notable for any particular reason but after a while you you get institutionalized you, you just become part of the organization and you take them on board what do we need to know about our management of the next wave of journalists considering that they have perhaps different values and career goals and perceive growth differently i think what you see is a group of individuals who have very strong personal values and i think what's really important to them is that their personal values and the company's values are congruent and if push comes to shove, they will jump in favor of their personal values. Um, I think what you also see is a group of individuals who want to acquire skills, want to move ahead, want to know that they're learning, they're kind of permanent skill acquisition mode, learning acquisition mode. Um, and I think their work-life balance is tremendously important, tend to be much more mobile than the industry's systems and practices are based around. I mean, even people that are performing well, happy in their job, probably will think about moving on in three or four years because they want to try something new. Um, so I think in terms of organizations, what does that mean? Um, I think as far as possible, ensure these new, hugely talented uh, members of the workforce who are definitely the key to the future, um, ensure that they're put on projects that as far as possible match their passions. Um, if we look at organizationally, structurally, really one of the hacks in terms of getting new strategies to land fast is to put cross-functional teams together. So people with different expertise bases, different parts of the organization to solve a problem, push through to solutions. They, they really thrive in that kind of environment. So kind of up the amount of cross-functional teamwork going on. Um, onboard really fast, you know, very protracted, long training, uh, periods don't really make any sense anymore, but do provide permanent opportunities to 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 learn and acquire new skills. And I think also provide access to the top of the organization, actually. I mean, I think one of the problems in the current environment is, yeah, this is a group of individuals who want to move on a fast track. And in a kind of set to under pressure, there isn't much fast track around. 
but you that doesn't mean you can't involve them in projects that involve them with thinkers at the top of the organization so things like reverse mentoring or special projects that are run by the top or i mean one of the big findings in general is that another of the hacks are internal task forces and this works particularly well around diversity inclusion equity so you get you get members of the organization, especially senior members with authority, with credibility, to lead up task forces to try and diagnose inside this particular organization, where are the roadblocks, where are the obstacles. But I do think there is one structural problem that emerged really clearly from that work, and that is that there is no clear career path for a lot of the new hybrid roles. It's very clear how you get to the top suite if you're a journalist. If you're a top data person, a top audience person, a top product person, that path is really not clear. And often those individuals can only get to the top if they jump out of one organization and jump back in later. That's revealing. Yeah, <laughs> I, that's that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I take a couple of things from that response. One is to just kind of stimulate their interests a lot more. The other is to help them where possible to meet their own aspirations. Um, you touched there on the the need for diversity and inclusion as well. What's proved effective to um, maintain our efforts towards diversity and inclusion whilst we're still dealing with the fallout from COVID and, and everything else that followed? I, I think I think the problem with, with diversity and inclusion and equity work is essentially you need to attack it as a kind of systemic problem, right? And it's also at root it's about it's another culture problem right it's about shifting attitudes it's about shifting who gets to make the decisions um and i think what we're seeing is uh if, if you look at the whole system right you've got a leadership layer in there you've got the people at the very top have got to signal loud and clear and relentlessly this really matters we are really doing this um, and then they've got a kind of set intelligent measures and targets and accountabilities for the organization and really hold people to those accountabilities. So if we're not hitting the targets we want relatively fast, we need to revisit those targets. Why aren't we getting there? So that's one level. And then there's a kind of really granular process level in the middle of that that has to happen as well. So this is why I said it's a, you have to look at it as a system. And that is firstly about tracking everything with data. So not just tracking who's coming in, but also the people that come in, what happens to them five years in of their cohort, who has risen on a fast track, who has not? The people that haven't risen on a fast track, why didn't they rise? Where did they fall off the log? Um, you need to track how comfortable people feel inside the organization, inside their teams. Um, and a lot of that is actually trying to find the kind of mini hurdles or the mini assumptions or the mini, uh, I mean, so much is about, you know, there's this concept of microaggressions. I was about to say the same thing, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah. So, you know, I was talking to someone and, and it was it's really striking what to a very senior kind of tough news hound can be just a kind of very, innocent rolling of their eyes at someone's suggestion during a news meeting to a more junior person from a underrepresented group who kind of screwed up their courage to say something that can feel like the beginning of a toxic work environment right so it's it's all to do with mindset it's all to do with kind of changing very granular behaviors um and then actually tact tactically where you're seeing a lot of work done is kind of changing the on-ramp right and I think that is clearly part of the solution, but it's not the whole solution, but there is a lot of work being done about recruiting in different places, 
um, some news organizations are taking away all educational criteria. So basically, you're just very smart about deconstructing a role into skills, but having no assumptions about where people will have learned those skills. Um, some organizations are looking very hard at internships and saying, you know, for example, I was talking to one that's saying no one with any personal links to people in this organization, family or friends, can is open for an internship. So trying to kind of get different people in in that way. So I think the answer to the question is it's you need a basically you need to look at the whole system. And then you need to tailor it. It needs to be kind of made bespoke for your organization. So you need to understand what are the problems in this situation um, and which levers do we actually need to pull? What's, what's one thing that you've seen sort of born out of COVID that you would like to see retained in a post-pandemic world? I think it is absolutely amazing for accessing individuals who might otherwise not be able to work with an organization because they're, they're just geographically located or, or their life circumstances means that they would normally be ruled out from working as an organization. I think it is the most amazing opportunity to um, include, start working with individuals who normally you would have screened out. So sort of intentional remote working then? Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think intentional remote working, I think we're going to have a hybrid model going forward. That's fantastic for life-work balance. Mm -hmm. People yep. it, it, people do not have to uh, live in expensive conurbations to the extent they used to. It's possible to, you know, to live somewhere you want to live. There's all kinds of flexibility coming in that area. And for me personally, it's the, the lack of commute is also a, a bonus in some ways, but that's just me. Um Final question to you, Lucy, is for a newsroom leader perhaps listening to this podcast, what would be the message you would like to leave them with, particularly as they try to lead and create change in a disrupted industry, in a disrupted newsroom? Well, I think the first thing is just understand where, where your colleagues are. Where are they sitting? Um, how, how are they in themselves? I think one of the challenges for leaders in the moment is people are in very, very different places. And, and I think that's really, really hard. So you need to completely understand, kind of pick people up where they are and be kind of tremendously, <laughs> take kind of extravagant care of them. But I think the second thing is actually at the moment, this issue of simplification to really simplify, okay, what are the absolute priorities right now going forward? Um, and really encourage people to focus their energies on that. And it's really, I think it's really an issue of kind of reducing the to-do list. I think to-do lists have got have got crazy long and we're so kind of driven to, you know, we ca I think everyone cares so much about this industry, cares so much that it survives, which is great, but there's a risk of kind of burning ourselves out with good works and good intentions. So I think it is time to kind of take extravagant care of ourselves and be really ruthless about what we focus in on and what we don't. And, you know, if we can move the needle on two or three things that really matter, cross them off, then we can kind of move on to new areas. Lucy, I could be here all day talking to you about this, uh, but thank you so much for all of your time and insights today. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on board. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Really interesting talking to Lucy there. And my takeaway is really about shortening that to-do list and reprioritizing. In the back of our minds, we are probably aware of a few tasks that we could unload and it wouldn't be the end of the world. Like we heard at the beginning of this interview, we need charged batteries as a starting point in which to be effective and creative, and that is crucial right now. Lucy's book again is called Hearts and Minds, Harnessing Leadership, Culture and Talent to Really Go Digital, and you can find that on lucykung.com. 
If you like what you heard today, you can find more of our episodes on Spotify, SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. If you'd like to feature on an episode, I'd love to hear from you. Drop me an email on jacob at journalism.co.uk. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. <laughs>